Welcome to Searching the Sacred. Jason, Stephen, Lisa here with you. We are in the middle of a four-part series on Advent where we are looking at the different names that were given for this Jesus, the Christ, this Emmanuel, God with us. And today we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 33 where the angel Gabriel is going to show up to Mary and we're going to get the third name that we will be talking about in this four-part series. So, Lisa, take it away from verse 26. Uh, from the New King James Version. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a, the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. Okay. Well, one thing that comes to mind is just to reference some previous episodes, um, because in our first episode, we talked about the name Jesus, which is uh, told here to Mary, but was also told to Joseph in Matthew 1. Um, and then I was thinking about our previous episode on Emmanuel, because that's like the first message to Mary here by the angel is the Lord is with you. So this idea of God being with is still a theme in Luke, even though that's not a name uh, being given. So that struck me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Anything else pop out uh, to you guys as, as Lisa read that? Um, I too noticed the withness. <laughs> I was like, oh, I've never paid attention to that one. Um, and then I think I just felt like we were, for Luke, um, which we haven't, we haven't been in a passage in Luke yet, but like Luke is also still connecting it. Like we're hearing about David and Jacob. Mm -hmm. So we're, we are getting some lineage ties. We're getting some throwback, but not quite in the way that like Matthew did with the whole list of names. Like Luke has just given us, we're going to link to these two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Luke is not to back us up further. We don't need to go into this too much, but we started out like in the sixth month, which is like, okay, what is that all about? Well, that's referring to what Luke was talking about a little earlier, which is this story actually starts not with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, but it starts with Elizabeth and her husband, uh, Zacharias, or yeah, Zechariah, sorry, Zacharias. Um, no, Zacharias is how you do it in Greek. Okay. So I, I, thought, I thought I've read it that way too. Uh -huh. Okay. Thank you for helping me because I was feeling kind of crazy. Um, so Elizabeth and Zechariah, um, he's a priest and they're very old or they're up in age and years and she's has been without child. Um, I think the word barren is used in some translations and then they are going to have a baby. And so in the sixth month of Mary's cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's when Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel. So like there's a whole kind of priestly thing happening, lineage thing happening. So we're caught up in the Jewish 
uh, story here. We're not we're not just doing Mark or John, where it's a little bit more, you know, less. It's more theological. This is like grounded in tradition here. I'm sure I could have said that more eloquently and faster, but you know, whatever. It's Monday morning. Take up your space, Jason. It's okay. Just take up your space. It's fine. <laughs> wow. No, then you should. That was fine. That was you don't have to be like narrow it down into like a sermon. <laughs> say it how you want to say it. You're this so is nice. our rambling, searching the sacred podcast. We have no need to be succinct. I think our <laughs> listeners know that by now. <laughs> uh, welcome to the journey. If you're yeah. <laughs> this is your first one, welcome to it. <laughs> so I think one of the things we've talked about in this series is this difference. And I still don't know what to do with this, but like what what the child's supposed to be named and what the child will be called. And this mm-hmm. um and this idea here in Luke that you shall name him Jesus. Um so you shall call his name Jesus. Um he shall be great and he shall be called the son of the most high. And so I think that transition of she's supposed to name him that. Yeshua, yeah, salvation name. And he will be great and will be called. And I'm curious about that tie between greatness and this thing that he's called. Hmm. Um, because that's like the transition between what she's going to name him and he, and what he will be and therefore what he will be called. And it makes me think about conversations we've had on this podcast before, too, about what it means to be great, how we understand greatness, how that is going to affect how people see Jesus and what people call Jesus. So I'm I'm a, I'm in a little loop in my head about about that. Um, but it's also I want to name Son of the Most High is a weird one. I don't think we t- I don't know that I've ever heard like a Advent message about that part of this like why why son of the most high um, so before we dive into that which i think is where we want to spend the majority of time i think the idea of you're going to name him this which has incredible significance the name jesus but he will be called because he's going to be great he's going to be called this other thing there's a level of like i wonder I, I, like my midrash around that or my like kind of curiosity around that is like, I just want to prepare you for how important this child rearing is. Mm-hmm. Right. I like it's okay. I'm going to make a really crappy analogy and people are going to roll their eyes because it's so like dumb. And like, it almost be like if the mother of LeBron James was told, Hey, by the way, this really athletic eight year old that you have, He's going to be really great. And they're going to call him King James because he's so good at this. And now he may have given himself that title with his marketing team. But the point is, there's a responsibility here. And like, you might not have a lot of resources or the, you know, like you're going to, but like, this is really important. Like, take care of this because this is like, I mean, every parent, like at some level, looks at their kid and says, okay, how do we, how do we foster the gifts that this kid has? Right. Or like, how do we help this? You know, sometimes it's like, how do we just help this kid survive? But sometimes it's like, man, how do we see this 
blooming ability how do we how do we help shepherd that like it's beyond us but how do we help that um i wonder if that's what the angels like kind of saying to mary is like hey this is way bigger than what you're going to be capable of but also buckle up for the ride and 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 get on board with this and no lebron james is not jesus just want to make that clear to everyone because yeah well if i if i tie it back actually you help me think about a connection to Hagar um, because there seems to be a connection between a, a, a birth announcement and then saying something about the identity of that child. So um, back in Genesis 16, Hagar is on the run from Sarah, Sarai and Abram because she's been mistreated. She's in the wilderness. She runs into this angel of God. And I love this angel of the Lord says to her, um, behold, you are with child and she'll bear a son and she'll call his name Ishmael. And so this is very much mimicked language in Luke and what is being told to Mary. Um, and it says, name him that because the Lord has heard your affliction. But then the next verse is a, a, he will be a wild ass of a man. Um, and join it. We join another 40 orchards circle to talk more about this pronouncement, but there's this, there's this description of who Ishmael will be that pairs with the announcement of what she's supposed to name him. Hmm. And in the discussions I've had with different groups about this, there's this, there's this piece of um, we might hear it as negative that he will be this kind of human, but she is an oppressed person giving birth in a situation where she will still be oppressed. And, and that to someone who is suffering from oppression to hear that their child will be strong, that their child will bear fruit, that their mm. child will be a survivor actually would feel like very good news. Mm. Um, and it seems to feel like really good news to Hagar here. There's a lot more that could be said about the prophecy about him, but that's sort of a short version. I and love so- that. And, and I love that. This is like our best promo ever, like a wild <laughs> ass of a man and like sign up for 40 orchards. Just leave it right there because that's a great <laughs> little low hanging like fruit for everyone. Like you want to sign up for that. Yes. But that, but that she seems to need this pronouncement. It feels like mm-hmm. good news to her that her son will be this way. And what might Mary need to hear now mm. about who Jesus will be? Well, in some ways, I mean, when we're talking, I mean, if we're going just kind of literal, well, how helpful it is, is that he will be called son of the most high and not like son of a teenage mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, in like some of the, some of the wrestlings for her are going to be the question of like, well, how, how, <laughs> what am I going to mm-hmm. tell people? What does this look like? But to be told like, that's what he'll be known for is that not necessarily what she's going to be struggling with. Mm-hmm. Not only a teenage mother, but she doesn't know what Joseph's reaction to all this is going to yeah. be. She's being like, like she's saying, like, I've not been with a man. I'm a virgin. How is this possible? Like, all of that is like grounds for being an outcast, you know, not just a, you know, a, a young mom, like, but like you are alone potentially in the world. And, 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 and even if Joseph sticks around, they could still be isolated from family in a way that is going to be detrimental to all the plans that they had for this wedding, for this marriage. And so, yeah, I think, I think you're right to bring about like this reassurance of like, Hey, this is hard, but there's, there's some good here. 
I love that. I'm just like still ruminating on that, Lisa. He will be called son of the most high, not son of a teenage unwed mother. Mm. Like that, that feeling that like hearing right off the bat, what people will call him does feel important for all the questions Mary would have. Um, And it's not like some of those fears aren't actually realized, mm -hmm. you know, like later on in some of the narratives of Jesus, like, you know, he's not going to be welcomed in his hometown, right? Like he's going to be called a blasphemer, you know, like there's going to be some labels thrown around that are not son of the most high God, but there's, there is some real painful stuff. I mean, <laughs> there's a crucifixion coming too, right? I mean, <laughs> like, so yeah. And son of the most high, I mean, we, we talked in, about how Matthew pulled this um, random passage from Isaiah forward. And I feel like son of the most high is also a little random. It's not the most common way that we would think of Jesus being described or God being described, the most high God, but it is a throwback to one of my very favorite um, searching the sacred podcast that I believe might even have most, uh, our most downloads are close to it. Uh, which is Genesis 14 and good old Melchizedek. Um, because Melchizedek. Let's all be weirdos. <laughs> let's all be weirdos is the name of that podcast <laughs> if you want to throw back to it. But here's let's just draw a couple connections to that. So one is, so when we are in Greek, um, the word for most high God, it's really, it's the highest is um is what it says so it's like clear that it's talking about god and so it's uh hoopsistos i think i'm saying that right um so it's most high uh the highest rank the most high god so that is the exact word that the author of hebrews uses in chapter 7 verse 1 about melchizedek for this melchizedek king of salem priest of the most high god who met with abraham so he's drawing that connection in as well um and so why tie Jesus to most high? Why tie Jesus to Melchizedek? Um, so this is Genesis 14, um, verse 18 through 20. I'm just going to read it. So we've got some context for those who haven't heard the passage in the previous podcast. And Melchizedek, king of Salem or Shalom, uh, brought forth bread and wine and he was priest of the most high God. And he blessed him, this is Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram uh, of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And so this is our first use of Most High. This is our clearest kind of connection to Most High God and the story of God's people and Abram and we, we again listen to that podcast for all of the things happening in Genesis 14 with this priest you've never heard of who seems to be doing some important things. But now Jesus is going to be called Son of the Highest, Son of the Most High God, referenced here and in a few other places. Like, why? What does it mean to be Son of that God? In Genesis 14, there was just a battle of kings. Um, and Melchizedek, this priest, comes out with this offering of bread and wine and peace um, and something different after a battle of kings and power and thrones. 
And so there's a way it's showing a different most high. There's a different highest. You guys are battling for highest power. There's a highest power that is bigger than you. And then I think about Jesus being in Roman times and this idea that like Caesar would be the highest, um, but there's another highest that's bigger than Caesar. And Jesus is the son of that highest. And whether there's something to the power game and the thinking about power differently and what Melchizedek does to help everybody think about power differently and what Jesus is going to do to help everybody think about power differently and whether that's part of him being called this. Well, it also like links them to not the lineage of Kings. I mean, it links them to David and then it links them to the house of Jacob. And so like, there's a way that it's, Well, David had some wins in his lifetime. They're really far away from David and the line of David having power. Um, I don't, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing to link into something that as actually isn't in power, that isn't actually like that, that somehow the, like that he's going to be, he's going to be given the throne of David and reign over like there's a lot of like king language there's a lot of like ruling mm-hmm. i don't know monarchy i guess it's not just king but mm-hmm. um yeah i mean cuz it's also it's in in daniel 7 um it's a very it's a weird daniel's got lots of weird passages <laughs> but it's one of the connections of like um of talking about most high and um, the kingdom of the most high. And now it has some messianic prophetic kind of tones to it um, where it can be this idea of royal authority. That's what being son of most high can be this idea of royal authority as he's also getting connected to David and um, what it is for him to have that royal authority as he moves forward in his life. I think it's such an interesting kind of combination of things. So we we get a lot of the from especially from the line of Joseph, we hear you know David and we hear Jacob and so there's a this kind of royalty, there's this inheritance piece like son of means like there's an inheritance that is being passed down. Um and it feels very royal like thrones and stuff like that and kingdoms, but then there's also this priestly thing coming up, right? So you know, Mary is linked to Elizabeth, who's part of married to Zachariah, who is a part of the priestly line, which is not the royal line. And so Mary's coming from this other family that has a level of authority, but also not from a kingdom standpoint, per se, or kingly, but is priestly. And then the son of the Most High, that name is connected to Melchizedek. And Hebrews makes it really clear that Jesus is seen as like the high priest. And so there's there's like a a combination in a way of royalty and priestly coming together in Jesus. And so it, it's it's political, it's religious, it's like the two aren't separated in a way. Um there's they're meant to be held here together well. Um and so I kind of wonder about like that combination of things being impactful for who Jesus is or what the name that Jesus is going to be called, um, son of the most high. Like, how is this maybe like a perfect fusion of political p- 
power and priestly power. Which that goes in um, another place this most high is used is um, in the book of Acts um, and in the book of 2 Samuel. So I'm going to go backwards and forwards. So 2 Samuel um, 13 through 16 is talking about the building of the temple and God being the father, establishing the kingdom forever. Um, that, that kingdom forever language is is there in a way that mix what's being talked about with Mary. But in Acts, um, this idea of most high, sorry, now I've got to find it. Um, I've, I've lost it for a moment, um, is in Acts 7. Um, it's talking about how the most high dwells not in temples made with hands, um, but in heaven. And like this, it feels like that connection then is being made with what you're saying, Jason, of somehow most high is connecting to priest and King at the same time and shifting some ideas of where God dwells Mm -hmm. and whether or not that's starting to come into play, even with what he will be called um, by others. Which I feel like in that same vein, like Jesus uses the language of most high. Mm -hmm. And Jesus uses it to say that you can also be the son of the most high. Like, and it's in Luke six and when Jesus is talking about love your enemies and like lend money without hoping for it back. (laughs) Some stuff about generosity and forgiveness and love. And um, when you do that, then you'll be sons of the most high. And so Mm -hmm. it feels like it's, while this is something that Jesus is, it's getting told that this is true about Jesus, but it's also extended into like the offers for everyone. It's not just exclusive to Jesus mm-hmm. and Jesus's lineage. And Je- like, it's an interesting thing to think about it being, while it's important to tie it to all those things, that's not where it's, it doesn't end there. That's mm-hmm. not the only way for it to be true. That is really powerful. To think of this name being called to Jesus. So sometimes I, I feel like <clears throat> in the birth and in many other parts of Jesus's life and existence, it becomes complicated for us to hold fully God, fully human, and both. And to say which parts of who Jesus is are just about Jesus and which parts are about all of humanity being displayed in Jesus. And there's a way son of the most high feels like, oh, that must just be a God part, (laughs) right? That just, that's like a, that's a Mm -hmm. high power. That's a King. That's a priest. That must just be about God. So to see that Jesus himself uses this language and says to all of us, if you love your enemies, if you're good to those who persecute you, if you show generosity, you will be called sons or children of the most high. Mm -hmm. This is actually about me being human Mm-hmm. Um, and us being human and how we're human together and how all of us together shift how power is displayed on earth. I would not think of that with this proclamation without that tie you just made to Luke six, um, which is the same author. So like, right. that's a really solid tie. It's a solid tie. And if we, if we take that mentality into this passage and then remind ourselves, she's being told about having a baby. Like this is the most human thing we do. Like is you know like there's nothing more human than birthing a child like i mean i've not done it but like i would imagine it's the most raw human thing imaginable is 
bringing forth life from your body. And so to have son of the most high royalty priestly here in your womb, like, dear goodness, that's, that's amazing, right? Like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is like so human in that moment. Um, but we don't attach it there. And so I'm glad we, I'm, I'm so glad that we brought it to that, to that point. There's another story in Luke where, where Legion, the devil, demon, whatever, whatever we're going to do with those passages, talks to Jesus and says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of God, most high. And so it's the person, the the being that we see tie these names together isn't human. Um, but is it, there's like a fear there um, that feels like it's very much attaching this as powerful names for Jesus, whereas Jesus himself is attaching it to a name that humans can have as well. And so I'm curious about, yeah, I'm curious about the the power dynamics in this name and what's being called and in how power is seen, how power is used. I don't know if that made any sense because it's sort of swirling for. <laughs> no, it, it does, and I think it kind of connects to where my mind's been swirling. I think I think there's a there's like a there's something happening in this conversation where we're all kind of looking down and not at each other on the Zoom. <laughs> for all those <laughs> that aren't able to see what we're doing, we're all kind of like processing as we're doing this. And I think so. What I'm processing that I think connects to what you're saying, Steph, is there is something about the powerful and the human like the mundane being fused together in this name and i for me the part that exemplifies that the most is this idea of political power and religious power and i feel like so often in my life those things are meant to be separated like i have this political earthly like this is what i think and do about the systems of our world and then this is what i believe this is my faith this is my religious part of me and they're separated and and that sometimes what we're taught to do is to bring my religion into my political beliefs and they should inform what i believe politically but i wonder if what we're what we're seeing here is that there's always a fusion it's not that these are separated, like it's some, you know, we got these buckets that we can sometimes put ourselves in, like, okay, now I'm political, and now I'm religious, and now I'm just a dad, and now I'm um, a basketball fan, and now I'm this. Like, there are no buckets. Like, we are fully human with the power of God's spirit at all times, able to be sons of the most high in every realm of life. And that's like both transcendent and the most humane thing imaginable. And so what if we're always meant to fuse those to see what we think about politically as theological and that what we do politically is, is the, is theology. Like, like the way we treat our neighbor is an expression of our theology, just as much as our theology should be expressed in our politics. Like what if, all of that is meant to be fused together. What if the way that I coach the basketball team is meant to be ex an expression of my theology? 
right? Like, what if the way in which I treat my wife is meant to be an expression of how I interpret the scriptures, right? As opposed to these separate buckets that I want to put my life in. Um, it's always meant to be brought together. And it's meant to be not some crazy, outlandish, big, miraculous, divine thing. But it's meant to be like, this is what I do on this dirt called planet Earth, like all the time. There's that way I both agree with what you said and get nervous about what you just said, Jason. <laughs> Good. Because, I, because it feels like those things get fused badly. Totally. Um, and I wonder if that has to do with how we define the word greatness. Mm. Um, because it's tied, that word is also tied in both Luke 1 and the angel's pronouncement to Mary and Luke 6 that Lisa brought us to of like, love your enemies, do good, lend hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And you so, shall be children of the highest. So what's and, that word in the Greek? And then. And, yeah. So Greek is polis. And, um, and it's that word used for Mary also when it says, um, at least I think it's the same word. Is it the same word? Nope, it's a different word. That's interesting, actually. That was that great is polis, and the great being talked about with Jesus is megas. Different versions of greatness for Jesus and for humans that feels worth exploring. So let's mm. maybe do that live time. The word for greatness used by Jesus in Luke 6 is uh, much great, abundant, plentiful large so it has like beyond so it's maybe the idea of like beyond what you thought of like your reward will be beyond what you have given in that in that idea whereas in Luke 1 he will be great is the word megas which is a whole conversation actually that the disciples have over and over again of who shall be the greatest um so that is big or exceedingly great, or mighty, or strong. So that has more of an identity, maybe, kind of tie to it, um, which is the word used in the Septuagint to translate gadol, um, which we've talked about in the podcast before. Of gadol is the greatness that is talked about that Abram will become a great nation. Um, and in the Esther podcast we did, we talked about how. Um, there was a different version of greatness there where the wealth was being showed off. And how do you, what do you think makes you great? What, what is it to be great? There's a whole conversation of that identity word, greatness, Gadol. And, well, and later you referenced the disciples arguing over this word of what great means. And Jesus's response is the one who serves and becomes the least will be greatest among you. And mm -hmm. so Jesus kind of does the same thing that we were talking about with the Esther one conversation is that um, Artaxerxes, right? Because I'm not going to say that other funky name that we had to say because Lisa was reading a different translation, was <laughs> showing off all the splendor of the kingdom as that as if that was great. But what was actually great was the willingness of Vashti to rebel and to say, no more am I going to put up with this. And And so there's like a humbleness a generosity, a hospitality, right, of, of Abram that is seen as great. And so Jesus is saying that 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 hospitality, that that willingness to humble yourself um, to be the least is actually what's greatest, not the splendor and the, you know, power in a way. Which, I mean, the 
that is then what the kind of action that Jesus is talking about in Luke six of loving your enemies, doing good, lending and hoping for nothing again, is that kind of humble greatness mm-hmm. um, described. It seems. Um, but then it's this different word used for the reward of that, which is potentially a rabbit trail. That's not helpful <laughs> here, but I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious about this. Like, like maybe what it is is it has this energy of um do i think of myself as already carrying this identity of being a child of the greatest of the highest and therefore am i living with abundance and with generosity and with kindness because it's already there or am i trying to be something and that the disciples in that conversation are always trying to be something they're trying to get a rank um And Jesus just is. And then Jesus tells us, you actually become this thing that I am by giving things away. It's almost like it's not something that you can like claim or you can earn, but you become like through, through, through your life, through your actions. Like you can't, it's not like you can put it on like a post-it note and say like, okay, I'm going to go be great today. Like, I mean, Instead, it's like, no, just live this way, this humble, generous, hospitable way. And like, that's going to be recognized as really great, like abundantly great, bigger than you, actually. I wonder if that's what Jesus is saying, like, be this kind, loving presence, and it's going to be abundantly more effective than you think. I like all of that. I just don't know how often I experience like Luke six living. Like yourself or others? Both. I don't know. Forever like it feels like if there were more people in the world doing this, it would be a very different world. Hmm. Um I mean it is really hard to love people that I don't agree with, let alone hate. Um, and it's really hard to like, just give your money without expectation. I, I have yet to like, I've worked a long time in nonprofit world. And I just know a lot of times people give with the idea that they have, they want you to do something specific with the money. They have an expectation of what you will do with the money, even if it's not necessarily for repayment. There's something that there's an expectation of something in it. Um, And I don't know where like responsibility comes in and all that jive. I just think that there's something in this way of living that looks like giving things. And when you meet someone who doesn't have something, you give it and you don't think too much about it. And I, I think a lot about it and I, I mean, I want to, like, I think I work really hard at trying to end up, I try to swing in that direction, (laughs) but that, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe if you, if you really did lean into that, you are a child of 
the most high. But then it feels like we're getting to that weird territory of like, well, yeah, what you get your jewels in heaven. <laughs> like I, like I feel like the little, the, <laughs> there's like that tinge. Like I heard it too much. I heard it so often. And I, there's still times when people are like, oh, that's a jewel for your crown. And I'm like, that is, defeats the whole purpose of the thing because that, like that's not, mm-hmm. I, yeah, there's something in it that has both like a, a, a lot of years of bad theology wrapped into this idea. And so how to unhook from some of that and how to unhook from like just the general disappointment of like the pain of like not being forgiven, like the pain of like people who are like, I mean, you can work really hard at loving people and forgiving, but that doesn't mean other people do. it. (laughs) There's not an expectation that other people are going to live that way. It's easier if everybody lives that way. Um, But that's not real. I don't know. That's what this is like. That's what this is kind of like. Like, I don't know. I'm thinking about a lot of things, but see how they tie together as I see them out loud. That um, one thing I'm thinking about with that Luke 6 tie is like, what if this is the invitation to live that way at the holidays? And if we think about like what what a good Advent practice is. And maybe we do all sorts of spiritual practices, but actually like if we want to live into our identity as children of the most high, which is what Jesus is called at the birth narrative, that the best way to do that is to implement Luke 635 with the way we spend our holidays and to at least at this season, focus on loving our enemies and um, giving with generosity and all of that feels like a tie to what we do it like we try to do at this time of year but maybe even a tie to biblically sort of like how that is connected so that's like one train of thought the other train of thought is actually whether mary's the one who helps us because i feel like we're kind of taking her out of this passage and i want to honor that she's chosen for this and maybe not just because she's a virgin because that really doesn't give her moral credit for being chosen to parent this child. (laughs) And that there's something about her that has found favor with God that has something to do with who she is and how she lives and her willingness to take on this assignment. And that as it keeps going, the angel in verse 35 says, the power of the most high will overshadow you. And so she's also being like, however, this birth is happening is from the most high, which is a part of why Jesus is going to be called son of the most high. And there's something in Mary's willingness to submit to this frightening process that also feels like a living out of, of the greatness of humility that feels like a model or a, hmm like she's 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 the one who can raise a child who will be called son of the most high because of how he lives and there's something about how she is submitting to the power of the most high in this moment that feels like it's a part of the equation somehow so i think we talked about this in the advent podcast last year i feel like in the protestant tradition mary isn't talked about enough because there's this fear of the catholic tradition and how Mary gets elevated and like, what is it to see Mary for Mary and to say, okay, does she have a role to play here in this terminology of most high? Um, 
And in the way that it's applied to Jesus, the way it can be applied to us, the way that she's allowing the power of the Most High to overshadow her so that she can co-create this being who's going to be called this name. I feel like this is a podcast where we're wrestling out loud more than we have for a while of like, what does this name mean? <laughs> what do we do with it? Yeah, I, I feel like hearing what you just said about Mary, it it makes me kind of wonder, like, is she the first, not in the in the biblical narrative, but in this narrative, is she the first to be the hospitable one? Um, to be that, that place where things are going to be different here. Mm. I mean, she, I mean, she embodies it. Like we use that term all the time now. It's like, you know, we have to embody, embody, embody. Right. And I, and I love it, but like Mary literally embodies it. Like she's going to allow for her womb to be the place where the son of God is going to grow and then be born. And when you talk about being hospitable, (laughs) she is, that's hospitality. (laughs) I mean, like that's embodied hospitality um, in its most literal sense. Okay. So that, what if being called a child of the most high which Jesus is called, but then Jesus says we can be called it. We've made those connections. What if it's as simple as submitting to a higher power, which Mary is living out? But it, it because it makes me this idea of higher power or highest makes me think about my AA friends and the 12 steps and the importance of submitting to a higher power as a way of living well as a way of living like I'm not the highest power and that Mary does that here by saying okay power higher than me take my life I am willing that Jesus tells us you do that by your resources those things you tend to hold tightest your resources and grudges those things that really tend to be power grabs let them go that means you're living like a child of a higher power. And he says the same thing to the disciples. Mm-hmm. You all want to be as great as possible, but you need to let it go and be the least. Mm-hmm. And that maybe this idea of living as children of a higher power is is that humility of living like there is something bigger than me. Mm. Lisa, you have a far off glance. Um, I was just thinking about how I don't, give Mary any credit for raising Jesus. Mm. <laughs> like I just assume all of Jesus's great qualities came from the fact that he's divine. Um, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like he just born without sin. That's it. Like he just knows all the things. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, what if I actually like gave Mary some credit and I'll throw Joseph in there too. Um, like parental credit. Of, I mean, maybe Jesus behaves in a way that he's a child of God is because his parents live that out. Mm-hmm. Mary's song or Mary's prophetic words um, that come show us that, like, Mary's actually got, like, it's more than just this teenage girl. It, there's 
I mean, she's got some powerful words um, that she speaks and believes. So like some of it is like, do you live like you believe it? Which, I mean, that's where I've like, I keep thinking about this language of the power of the most high shall overshadow you. And I feel like that always gets attributed to the miracle around the birth of like, it's trying to explain something, but what if it's not trying to explain something? What if it's saying like, this is a part of Mary's greatness is that she lets the power of the most high overshadow her. Mm. Um, and that's what it's going to take to become pregnant, but it's also what it's going to take to raise this child and to live the life that she, like, there's a way that it's about more than just becoming pregnant. I think it's about who she is, who Jesus is, what it is to live with this higher power mentality that is generous and kind and good in the way that she raises him and influences him. And it's going to take a unique person, honestly, because like if any of us were given the thing of like, you're going to raise the Messiah, I don't know that we're going to behave decently. <laughs> like, I feel like <laughs> if they were like, you're kids, I mean, even, I, yeah, in some ways there is I, something like, <laughs> like, I actually, it makes me think of apocryphal or like not even apocryphal, like documents that didn't make it into the canon, but one of them, I don't remember which it is, has like some childhood stories of Jesus, of him like getting mad at a friend and knocking him out a window and the <laughs> friend dies and then he brings the friend back to life. <laughs> huh. Um <laughs> Mary, you can just see Mary going, you better resurrect that child. <laughs> well, and like that that is like a that probably didn't happen. That's why it's not in the canon. But it does like what would what would it have actually been like oh, yeah. to raise Jesus as a child? Like what kind of humility would that take for a mother to raise this child? And how does it show that she is a child of the most high as she raises a child of the most high? Because it takes that mentality to survive that whoever that teenager is okay i have never imagined that like jesus didn't have sin because he could like course correct <laughs> like <laughs> like does it count if he raises him from the dead <laughs> didn't actually murder him hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna heal that that black eye i just gave you <laughs> okay well, that's my takeaway. <laughs> not that kind of business, no. This podcast is off the rails. I love it. Well, I don't know. Well, that's because the um, let's all be weirdos. It does feel. And what's interesting is, I feel like another podcast where we like were like this was was the Let's All Be Weirdos podcast about Melchizedek. There's something about this most high language that ties us into something bigger, something harder to explain that we know, but it's harder to grasp exactly what it means or how to live it out. And it takes a little, it's got a little wrestly tone, but it feels important and it feels big. It just feels hard to language a little bit mystical, a little bit weird. I think it's because it goes against so much of our human nature to be this way. Like Lisa was saying, like part of the reason that this is so hard to sit with is that we don't see it often. And so you, you almost have to like frame it differently than you need to be the most humble and generous and hospitable person ever. And like, to be like, you got to be like really counterculturally weird. Like you actually have to not care where your money goes. You actually have to like be willing to offer forgiveness and never anticipate it happening for you. 
Otherwise you're going to be miserable. Like that's jacked up weird. Like it's weird to do that because we're human and we hold grudges and we don't want our money to go be wasted. And we don't want the government to get too much of it. And so they throw it at things we don't always agree with. And like all this stuff, like all the stuff that comes with being human in the midst of a society and a culture and systems and all these other things and family relationships. And yet that's kind of what Jesus is saying is like be incredibly radically different than everything that you see around you. That's pretty weird. <laughs> and it's so weird that we I, we're at a loss for words most of the time for what that even like, like you said, to put it, to put it into words. Um, But that's also kind of what makes it fun. I kind of want to end with Jesus's words to us. Back to what Lisa brought us to, which is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to read the whole paragraph and wonder if this is a word for us at this time of year to live this way um, and model after Jesus, who is called this name. And so this is Luke 6, 32 through 36. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This has been a 40 Orchards podcast. At 40 Orchards, our mission is to create circles for all people to wrestle through biblical text so that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. We search through the lens of sacred possibility, assuming there is more to be discovered, questioned, and applied as we listen for how God is still speaking. You can learn more about 40 Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40, that's 40orchards.org. Our opening music is by Less FM. Our closing music is by NCR Music Vibes. Additional music is by 3Music. Any references to books or other sources can be found in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for searching the sacred.